So um, the series, Road Trip, we've been talking about road trips and some different pieces of Scripture, and the passage that we're leaning into is from Proverbs, and it says this, trust God from the bottom of your heart. So trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, or what it says in this translation, listen for God's voice in everything you do, everywhere you go. Because God is the one who can keep you on track, who can help guide the ways that you go in life. Does that make sense? He can guide our expedition, our journeys through life. And that's what we're learning in this series, is how we can do those sorts of things. So today, to get us going, you gotta, you got to be involved. I keep telling you this. Are you ready to be involved a little bit? I want you to think for a moment about a memorial or a monument that you saw as a kid on a road trip or that you've gone to recently uh, here in the United States or somewhere else, it's okay. Um, can you think of a monument or a memorial that you saw on a road trip? I see some of you nodding your heads. Um, do you have something in your, in your mind? Okay, so keep thinking about it. Um, Joe, a monument, a memorial that you can remember seeing or... Yeah, I remember as a kid uh, taking a road trip with my family all over from Indiana to Colorado, and then we came back through the Dakotas, and we saw Mount Rushmore. And yeah, as, as a kid, just seeing how big that was, yeah. it was just... How, how many of you have seen Mount Rushmore? How many of you have been there, not just seen it? Oh, so um, not quite half the room, maybe. Um, wow. Um, Lindsay, trip. you thought you saw Mount Rushmore... Well, I thought I was going to Mount Rushmore. You know when you're in middle school and you think you're the smartest you're ever going to be? But I didn't know what I thought I knew. And we, were, we actually it, took well, a trip. It's probably because you had your headphones in and you weren't Maybe. listening. Maybe I wasn't listening. I wasn't paying attention. But um, we took a trip. I was like in a coral thing growing up. And we took a trip to D.C. And they said, we're going to Mount Vernon. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I can't wait to see the faces in the mountains. And, you know, <laughs> so I thought I was going to Mount Rushmore, but it was Mount Vernon. Was it like such a disappointment when you got there? Well, Were you no, like, plenty what? of people let me know I was wrong. <laughs> um, but Mount, Mount Vernon, Vernon how, how many of you have been to Mount Vernon? Okay, yeah. Um, Elijah, what? Yeah, um, when I was a kid, I saw uh, the Washington Monument, and I grew up watching Forrest Gump. I was introduced at a very young age, so I, when I got there, I was like, that's the scene where Jenny's running in the water. Like, that's where she's at. So, yeah. so it, was, it was kind of fun to see that, especially as a kid. So. It kind of hurts my feeling that you said you grew up watching Forrest Gump. I'm so sorry. <laughs> but okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, we'll get to that in a minute. What about any monuments? Uh, well, I was going to say Mount Rushmore, but um, I would say I think the most moving one in America that I love so much is the Lincoln Memorial. Yeah. When you can stand out and look and just picture... Martin Luther giving his I have a dream speech. Yeah, yeah, that. yeah. So um, do you have it in your mind, the one that you saw? So tell your neighbor on your right and your left the monument, the memorial that you remember most. Go ahead. You can say it out loud. It's okay. Iwo Jima. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. So... I love it. Now you're explaining the monument. Now, how do you get there? Well, let me tell you how to drive. I love the conversation. Okay, okay. Now come back. So, um, 
some different, some different monuments um, that I just marked out. So there's Mount Rushmore or um, Mount Vernon, whichever you prefer to call it. Um, so there's some monuments that we get to, and they're just like profound, and, and we're, we weren't expecting, you know, the, the size. And there are some deeply moving monuments. Um, this is a monument north of L.A. that uh, is a monument to internment camps, uh, where in the United States we uh, sent uh, many families that, um, and so this monument was set up during World War II, at the end of World War II, um, where this happened to a lot of families. It was just a, a, a very um, sad part of our history. And um, so that's, that's a monument. And then, Lindsay, you're, you spent a lot of time in Oklahoma City. You're kind of from yeah, Oklahoma City. Mm-hmm. So this is the, the bombing memorial there in Oklahoma City, it's which beautiful. has, uh, it's beautiful and unbelievable symbolism. Yes. Um, do you want to? Yeah. Um, so some of the things we talked about, these, there's, a, there's a, a similar structure on the other side of this pond. And it's um, 901 and 903 in, in the middle is when the bombing happened at 9.02 a.m. So that's silence, you know, and that significance there. Then you have 168 chairs on the left side of the image that represent all of the victims of the bombing, children, women, men. It's it's really just um, moving when you walk the grounds. And then Robin reminded us of the tree. There's a tree that survived the bombing. It's huge. yeah. what kind it is, but they call it the living tree. Yeah, yeah. The and it's survivor still there. Tree. It's it's there's got they have like a little area around it where they meet and have a memorial yeah. service every year for it. Yeah. So oftentimes memorials, um, monuments help us think through and and remember certain things in the world. Now some of you are looking at the black and white photo and you're wondering what in the world is that. So in the state of Alabama where I grew up, this is a monument to the boll weevil. And some of you wonder, what is a boll weevil, right? Some of you are wondering, like, well, it's, it's, like a, it's like a little roach-like insect kind of thing, beetle-like insect, um, native to Mexico, but uh, in, uh, in and around, I, I think, like the 40s and 50s, 30s, 40s, and 50s, it began to infiltrate southern Alabama, and the boll weevil basically destroyed the cotton crops of southern Alabama, and cotton crops were really important in the south. And um, so uh, what happened because of the boll weevil in Enterprise, Alabama, so this is in Enterprise, Alabama, which is in the southern half of the state, um, what happened is they decided to turn, she's from Enterprise, Alabama. Yeah, that's crazy. So you've been there. And so what happened was um, they decided to turn the crops from cotton crops to peanut crops, and that became a very... um, uh, financially lucrative change. So they, they put up this memorial to remind them that oftentimes what we see as a very um, bad thing can turn into something good. Yay. Don't you love that? Yeah. See, you all think in Alabama we don't think, but we do sometimes. <laughs> Every now and then we come up with some good things. And then a couple pictures I took. Um, so my, I, I'm, I go to D.C. a couple times a year. Uh, I serve on a board uh, of a church there. I took this picture flying into D.C. the last time. I know where to sit on the plane when I'm flying into D.C.A. to get pictures like this. But um, I, I love walking the mall in D.C. If you've never been there, many of you said that you hadn't been um, to the Washington or to, to Lincoln. You should go to D.C. 
just to walk the mall. It's just, it's just unbelievable, all of the memorials, monuments. And so this was a picture I took when I was kind of flying in. A couple years ago, I took this picture. This is one of my favorite spots in D.C. This is on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial, and it's what Robin mentioned. Um, this is where, about the area where Martin Luther King Jr. stood in the I Have a Dream speech. So it's kind of engraved here, and you can kind of look out and see maybe a, a little bit of a picture of, of what um, he saw that day as he, as he spoke. Isn't that, isn't that kind of neat when we think about memorials and uh, why we go different places and what we see and how those monuments and memorials can bring something to our minds? Um, in, in the Christian faith, in our faith, centered in Jesus, there is a, a memorial that we are to engage in that is intended to put our minds in a certain place. It's not intended to be a religious um, ceremony or activity where we just go through the motions, but there is great significance in it. And it's the Lord's table. It's communion, um, the Eucharist, the, the breaking of, of Christ's body, which then pours life out to all who would receive it. And... Um, one, one of the first Christians, Paul, when he was writing about this practice that began to take root in the life of the early Christians, it all pointed back to something that Jesus did with his disciples at a dinner. And um, that's what we want to do together as a church. We're going we're gonna to take communion together, just to let you know where we're going, but we're doing it for a specific reason. So I want, I want to keep you, um, I want to keep your minds engaged with me, because it's not, communion is not just a ritualistic activity for us to participate in, but rather it is an engagement of our memory that is to lead to heart transformation. So I don't want us to lose sight of that as we walk through this. Now, when Paul wrote, this is what he said. He was writing to a, a church that had, had started, a, a group of young Christians, um, followers of Jesus, and he said this, on the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread, so he took a, the most common element on a, on a dinner table, I think this is really important because I think um, Jesus and I think then Paul wanted us to remember when we do very basic things. So when we eat bread, he, he breaks this bread and he wants bread to become a reminder when we break bread together that that's a reminder of the sacrifice Jesus made for us. Are you with me? Does that make sense? So very basic element. And he breaks the bread and he gives it to his disciples. He thanks God for it. And he says, this is my body, which is given for you. Now, this is a key little piece here. Do this, why? To remember, in remembrance of him. We, we don't do this as an empty ritual. We do this to fix our minds on Jesus and his sacrifice, self-giving sacrifice of himself the world. That's, that's why we do communion. And then he goes on and he says, in the same way, he took a cup of wine, which is what would have been on every dinner table in the ancient world, bread and wine. That, those were the most basic of things that would have been on the table. So he takes these two basic elements and he, he in a sense, says, I want to redefine these for you so that you never forget what I'm about to do, what Jesus is about to do. This cup is a new covenant between God and his people. So this is an interesting statement that he makes. It's a new covenant. The old covenant 
was based on a list of commandments and was based on you living up or achieving certain pieces, all of the pieces you could with regards to those commandments. And in um, the Hebrew mind, and in in, uh, if, if, if you were Jewish in that day, there were about 613 laws, to be exact. That's a lot of laws. And, um, and so what Jesus is saying is that God is establishing a new covenant, and here's what the new covenant is based on. New covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with the blood of Jesus. Now, this is, in, in a way, foreign to us. In the ancient world, when this was spoken, it would have been a common understanding. And it really goes back even a long time before Jesus, where when they sealed a covenant with one another, you want to hear the quick story of how they did it? Can I give you a quick history? I'll tell you really fast. I didn't intend to do this or I would have put a picture up. Anyway, so they took a bunch of animals and they cut them in half. They literally cut them in half and they set them on either side of a pathway so that the blood of the animals ran down into the middle and then both parties, so like if Robin and I were making an agreement, like a covenant with one another, both of us would walk down through the middle of the animals with the blood so the blood would get on our feet and it's as if we were saying, if I don't uphold my end of the covenant, then may it be done to me as was done to this animal. Like, blood is on me if I don't fulfill my end of the covenant. So we've signed contracts these days, and it's like, oh, if I don't fulfill it, you know, I'll pay $100 or whatever the you know, penalty is. And that day, it was your life. You were basically putting your life on the line to sign a covenant or agreement. Does that make sense? Or does, so it might be foreign to us, but it, it makes sense to you. God is saying, this new covenant, the blood of Christ, paves the way. It's no longer about you achieving um, all of the laws or holding, upholding all the laws. Now, that doesn't mean that we just live however we want to live. There's, there's still this change that happens in us, but it's no longer based on our performance. It's based on the blood of Jesus. And communion reminds us of that. Isn't that beautiful? Not a ritual, but rather an experience of taking that in. Um, so he says, do this again uh, to remember me, in remembrance of me, as often as you drink it. And here's the, the themes that like, come out of this for me, as I think about the life and the sacrifice of Jesus. Here it is, humility, compassion, and self-sacrifice. It's the humility of Jesus, his compassion for all the world, and his, his self-sacrifice that brings life to us. And when we take communion as, as people, as Christians in, our, in the world today, as we, as we take communion, in a sense, we commit ourselves to the, that same path of Jesus. Now, thankfully, we don't die on a cross because he did that for us. Um, the sacrifice or the, the, the path for us is one of humility, compassion, and, and self-sacrifice. The challenge for us is that this is intended not only for people we agree with or that we get along with. Jesus did this even for his enemies. When he hung on the cross, he spoke these words, Father, forgive them, for they don't fully understand what they're doing. 
Now that's a powerful picture of love. That's what Jesus is. He's an image of love given for you and given for me so that we might have a full life living in harmony with our Heavenly Father. And so this morning we're going to take communion. And um, uh, don't worry, you don't have to get up yet if you didn't get your elements. We're going we're gonna to sing the first part of this song and then you'll have an opportunity to get back and get the elements. And then we're going to take communion together as a, as a church today. I'll lead us in that. Um, but may this not be, I, 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 I pray that this isn't just an empty ritual for us. I pray this has deep significance. It's an experience of remembering and following the path of Jesus. So let's, let's stand together. And... Um, I'll say a prayer, and then if you need to get back and get elements, you can do that. So God, we sing to you. Jesus, you are the king. You are the one who gave yourself for us. And so as we take a step to remember this, this memorial, this, this picture of your love, I pray that we wouldn't just do so with, empty, um, with an emptiness, but rather... I pray that we would do this and commit ourselves to those same values, humility, compassion, self-sacrifice, the, the, the true picture of, of love. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. in worship, lift our hands in worship, in thankfulness and gratitude. In the darkness, we were waiting without hope and without light, till from heaven you came running, there was mercy in your eyes, to fulfill the law and prophets, to a virgin came the word. From a throne of endless glory to a cradle in the dirt. We sing praise the Father. Praise the Father. Praise the Son. Praise the Spirit. Praise the Son, praise the Spirit. 
So he had gathered with his disciples to celebrate the Passover meal, which was a picture of God leading the children of Israel out of slavery. And what Jesus was about to, to begin for them was a picture of God leading us out of slavery to sin, that we have now overcome that based on his broken body and his blood poured out for us. So he took the bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he said, take this and eat. This is my body given for you. And then he took the cup of wine on the table and he gave thanks to God for it. And he gave it to his disciples and he said, this seals the covenant between you and God and it's based on my blood. So let's drink together. So Father, we, we don't do this just as an empty ritual. We do it to experience, to, to, to remember, but also to commit ourselves to that same humility, compassion, self-sacrifice, to commit ourselves to love as Jesus did. Thank you for the gift of life through Jesus that we have. And we pray this in his name. Amen. your name and to know there's no one like you, God. There never has been and there never will be anyone like our Savior. Sing this with me. Oh, there's nothing 
Yeah. Yeah. Let's um, just grab a seat for another minute. Um, I want to lead us to continue that idea, that thought, that Jesus gave his life, and out of that, um, out of that death comes life, which is very counterintuitive, if you're, if you're honest, right? That life comes from death. And uh, we were talking about the lyrics of that song this week a little bit, and um, I know, Lindsay, you were mentioning a few of those lyrics that you thought are interesting lyrics, but good lyrics for us to remember. What, like, what are some of the... Yeah, I think um, just mourning into dancing and beauty for ashes, shame into glory. There, that's such a redemptive part of God's yeah. story in our life, and yeah. we have an opportunity as Christ followers to say, "Is this gonna? Am I gonna be a victim of this, or am I gonna let this be something that's a monument and a reminder of God's goodness in my life, and look at what He's done to just reshape my story?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the, the idea that graves can then become gardens is an interesting concept and idea and it sounds good sometimes when we sing it but then the reality of it is like oh but it was a grave there was death that had to be there before it led to life and as followers of Jesus um, we don't shrink back from that but we, we we rather embrace that idea that concept that that it actually is in some sort of a, a death that we find life and it's dying to ourselves our own selfish desires, um, that then Jesus says we actually find life when we're able to do that. And there's this interesting concept that comes about. Jesus tells his followers after his death and his resurrection that the Holy Spirit will enter into them, that the Holy Spirit will come upon them, and it's in this, this new breath from God that they will, they'll find power and a new kind of life. And this is something that we embrace as Christians, that the Holy Spirit breathes life into us. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. This idea of we will become, in a sense, storytellers, witnesses, um, telling people about him everywhere. And they use these Jerusalem, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth as, a, as an expression of actually where they were. They were in Jerusalem Samaria was all the people that they didn't think would ever get into the kingdom of God. So he's like, you're going to be my witnesses even where you don't think you should be my witnesses. And then to, to the ends of the earth. Like there's nowhere where my story is not going to be told. And it's up to you, dying to yourself, that this happens. This is how, this is how the message, this is how the kingdom expands. Um, and then Peter picks up on this. So Peter... Uh, writes a couple letters as well, and he writes this letter, and he says this, you are now living stones that God is building into a spiritual temple. Now, think about this. Uh, don't lose sight of the memorial you were talking about earlier. Many of those memorials are built of stone or carved out of stone. Mount Vernon, for example, all those faces carved out of stone. This is going to be fun. I'm so glad I know this story now. Mount Rushmore, carved out of stone, the idea that stones become memorials, uh, reminders. What Peter is saying is now you are becoming living stones. Isn't that beautiful? Living pictures, reminders. And, and God is building this together into his spiritual temple. The, the beauty of, of a memorial 
Now stay with me. This is a whole other sermon. I know. I'm excited too. I can barely keep it in. And I won't preach this whole sermon right now, but it's another sermon to say the beauty of a memorial and a stone is not in that stone fighting to retain its shape. The beauty of the memorial and a stone is allowing a master carver or an artist to form into that image what will then become the memorial. Now, come on, church. That'll preach. Some of you. There you go. I love it. Thank you. The idea of living stones is not that we force our will and our way, but rather we allow the Spirit to form us into the memorial and the image that God wants. Now, come on, church. That's what we're called to be. That's the living stone. And so he says... um, you're being formed. Wait, wait, go back, go back, because this scares everybody. What's more, you're his holy priests. Now look to your left and your right. That, that's God's priests. And you're like, I don't know that God should have chose that one. Because I know you. But here's the beauty of it, is that when we die to ourselves, when we allow that form to take place because of his spirit, it does bring something beautiful if we allow it to take root and shape in our lives. And he goes on, um, you are royal priests, a holy people. He keeps coming back to this concept of priesthood because that was something they understood in that day, that a priest represents God to the people. He's kind of intermediary. And now what he's saying is you all are intermediaries. You don't need a priest to stand between you and God. You can stand before God because of the blood of Jesus. Come on, that's so good. And as a result, you can show others. What can you show others? The goodness of God. That's the other beautiful piece. Like, we're called to show people the goodness of God. I'm so thankful for that calling, that we get to be in that mix, that he forms us to this, for he's called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. He moves us from darkness to light. He forms us into the image he wants us to bear, the image of Jesus, so that we can share his goodness with the world. I just love that idea. And so when we go on our road trips and you see memorials, oh, I hope you, you see what that memorial stands for and, and you, you engage in the experience. I hope your mind, when you see memorials, will also always take you to Jesus and remind you of the goodness of God and call you to la- allow God to shape you into that priest. Um, so these themes again. Here's the themes that I think I'm going to come back to. And, you know, I've, I know I've been a broken record on this. I think our world needs it. I, I think our world needs us, um, followers of Jesus, to be humble. In a, in a world of... Um, making statements and monologues, I think we need to be humble. Jesus, before those who crucified him, he was silent. Because the self-giving, self-sacrificing love would speak volumes. I think, I think we have to embody humility, com- true humility, compassion, that we have to develop compassion in our hearts for other people, and, and then self-sacrifice. We have to be willing not just to say certain things, we have to be willing to engage with our lives, and that's sacrificial. 
Um, and it's difficult. Here's some questions for the journey. Am I, am I growing in, in humility? Am I thinking of others or am I just thinking about myself? Am, am, I, am I trying to form my own image or am I allowing God to form me into his image? Do I have compassion for other people? Do I genuinely have compassion? These are tough questions if you're honest. So I, you know, I, I think when we wrestle through these, that's when God's spirit begins to shape us and form us. I think we have to wrestle with tough questions. Am I sacrificing? And I know as a pastor, when I say that, you're probably thinking, oh, he's talking, here he goes. Here, we're going to pass the plate or something. No, that's not even what I'm talking about. I'm talking about sacrificing your time, your energy, your gifts. Are you sacrificing yourself for the good of others? And that's a rough, that's a tough one for me. Am I really sacrificing in order to bring about good? Am, am I a living stone? Am I being formed into a living stone that brings good to the, to the other? I think um, a couple quick things, and then we're going to sing a song. I promise we're going to come back to one more song. Um, in John, John the Baptist, who was sent as a witness to Jesus to, like, pave the way, he makes this statement. He says, Christ must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. And I just, this has been on my mind, that it's, it's interesting how so often we fight for our voice to become greater and greater, and that's the dialogue that we hear so much all around us. Like, I want my voice, like my, and, and I want, I, I hope as a church, and following the ways of Jesus, I hope we can say, like John did, I need to become less and less, and, and Christ needs to become greater. Christ, Jesus is the one who is the savior of the world. I'm not. It's Jesus. And in that humility, in that compassion, in that self-sacrifice, Jesus does become greater and greater. That's, that's the pathway for us as Christians. Love becomes the way. And um, two things. I'll, I'll probably come back to this in the next couple months because I think we need to talk about it. But I think one of the ways that we can do this, I didn't want to put this on the screen. Um, I think one of the ways we can do this is we can step away from toxic monologues. And we live in a day and age where everybody wants to know what's your statement, what's your, you know, what's all of this. And I think we need to step away from toxic monologues and enter into compassionate dialogue. And I want us to be a safe space where that can happen. Because I think that's the way of Jesus. Listen, when, when Jesus walked this earth, it's so interesting the people that spent time with him, who they were. Like, they, um, they, they were so angry at Jesus because of all the different kinds of people he hung out with. Why is that? I think they felt Jesus to be a safe space to have really tough conversations. And I want us to be that kind of community that, that can get away from those toxic monologues where we're just spewing things. I know. And we can enter into compassionate dialogue with one another and respect one another with, with that, like, true compassion of Jesus. 
And one of the ways that we can do that, so we're going to close. Um, one of the ways that we can do that is um, we, we, can, we can, this song, next song, the, the lyric, the title of it is, You Can Have My Yes. You have my yes, Lord. Like we can say yes to the formation that, that the Spirit has for our lives. And so to close today, I'm just going to ask you to stand, and we're going to sing this last song. And um, I just pray that this is our, our prayer, but not just a prayer, but it's our, it's our path. God, um, it's weird to think that you, you call us priests and living stones, monuments, memorials, but we want to become that. So, God, may we humble ourselves to be formed into the image of Jesus so that we might carry his same compassion and self-sacrifice into this world. God, you have our yes. We want to be that kind of community. In Jesus' name.